Yeah, we've got a test this morning. Uh, we're going to do the 66 books of the Bible. Um, let me just give you a test. How many, te- how many books are in the New Testament? Okay, thank you. Final answer? All right, good, good. Well, we got a pastor that knows. Uh, good to have you all this morning. Uh, I'm excited about our message this morning. I'm excited about what God's doing. Welcome online. Those of you who are with us online, we're going to continue to build off what we listened to last week. We talked about passions, the importance of our passions, how passions shouldn't bleed over into our worship, because if we're not careful, we'll worship what we're passionate about. And the two words are very, very different. And so I went through scripture and kind of tried to unpack that last week. And we're going to build on that today because we're going to talk about, look, what we're passionate about should lead us over to a place of, of our one thing in life. What's the one main thing that all of us are looking for in life? And so today we're going to talk about the one main thing to some degree. Uh, it'll be expanded a little bit upon, but uh, join me in a word of prayer and we'll jump right in and get started. Father God, I thank you for these men this morning. I thank you that we have the opportunity to come here freely. Uh, Father, and, and listen to your word, grow in spirit and in truth. Father, lead us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're talking about this reason this morning. This reason, the one main thing, the one main purpose, because, uh, if you are over the age of 12, which, uh, three of you are, I'm just kidding, right? We've got 12 times three, uh, several of you this morning, but, uh, here's, here's some questions. What's the purpose of life? All of us have asked this at some point in time. Some of you've gone through tragedies recently that caused you to ask this question. What is the main purpose of life? Uh, does my life really make a difference? Probably all of us have asked that question at some point in time in our life. Does my life really make a difference? Am I really working in my purpose in this life? Is this my purpose? Is this what's set out before me? Because all of us set goals and many of us set strategies to obtain those goals. But the, the, the deal is, uh, no matter how big your goal is, if you've lived life long enough and have not obtained that goal, or sometimes those goals change, right? That one main thing changes. And I can remember, I, I, Joshua and I were up here last night. We were visiting, and and uh, you think us pastors just sit around and visit all day, and that's a good thought. It's a good thought. But in actuality, uh, I probably don't spend more than a couple minutes a day with Joshua most days and maybe five minutes with Brett. Uh, we're all, we've all got lanes. We've all got things to accomplish each day. We've got places we're running. Matt, sometimes it's less than that, right, Matt? I mean, he's working with the youth and calling on youth and parents. But last night I had a, a, the privilege of sitting with jo- Joshua for some time and we were kind of talking about life, just unpacking some things in life. And it was interesting how our conversation went because I, I, one of the statements I made, I said, Joshua, you know, some years ago I had to ask myself a question. And the simple question is this the hill I'm willing to die upon? Right here on South Bonham, if I stay right here on South Bonham Street for the rest of my life, it's not the goal that I set for my life. I saw things much bigger, much greater. I saw us impacting the world for Jesus Christ, and we are, but I didn't see that happening from South Bonham Street. And so we all have, even in our own professions, and I, I we talked about the difference between a profession and a calling. We hope those two align in our life because the one main thing should, right? I don't want to be so much a professional that I walk away from my calling, and yet my calling has led me to do what I do today. And so we have to ask some, some sometimes some difficult questions of our life. Is this really what life is about for me? 
Because here's the thing. We all make statements that, that don't sound like come for life. You've done it. I've done it. Matter of fact, they sound like more like this, come for death. The statements like, uh, you only go around once. So why not? Don't tell me you hadn't said that. Some of you haven't. But probably most of us have said something like, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? <laughs> so you probably will. Let's keep going. We've said things like this. It doesn't get any better than this. Well, I sure hope it does, right? Or the infamous, hold my beer and watch this. Dangerous statements because they're not talking about life. They're talking about life in a moment. Right, But we're talking about eternal life here, and that's the one main thing. What moves us on towards that goal? See, it's amazing to me how people tempt fate. And let me just say, I've tempted fate plenty in my life. Uh, it's not smart to do, right? To think the closest thing to living is nearly to die. The death reminds us that things we work so hard for cannot be taken with us, and those who follow us often squander what we have given. And so Solomon, if you think about it, Solomon... He died. But before he died, he left great riches and a great kingdom to his sons, which is interesting to me because they also died, but not before they squandered their wealth and they actually split the kingdom. Listen, the only part of life that passes from life to life is this. It's our relationship with God. That's the only thing eternal that lasts with us, that we take with us. That's it. So many people are looking for fulfillment in life. They want the question answered. They want to truly live, but they don't know how. It's interesting to me that Jesus said, come to me, for I will give you life. And not just life, I'll give you abundant life. And what he's talking about is I've got a place here where you can be fulfilled for the time, this season of life that you were given. You know, half of all American children will live through a parent's divorce, and over half of these will live through it a second time. That's according to the Hudson Institute. Uh, these statistics are pretty staggering. 40% of American children are growing up without their father today. Um, over 90% of those who are imprisoned today never knew their father or had any type of relationship if they did know him. You know, uh, suicide is the third leading cause of death for young people ages 15 to 24 today. The third leading cause of death, and that's climbing quickly. And, and you know why? Because they don't know their purpose. They're being taught all this education, and education does not provide life. We have to pay attention to some things. One in 64 attempt suicide. One in 64 men attempt suicide in their life, and one in four attempts are successful. This is interesting because if you look at that with women, the women ratio is actually higher, but, but <laughs> the success rate is much lower, bless God. So uh, major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability in the United States today. This is amazing because we're the most educated, we're the most wealthy of any other nation at any other time upon this earth. And listen to this statistic. Major depressive disorder is the leading cause of disability in the United States today. Mental disorder. Drug use continues to go up 24.6 million users and over 19.8 million in the past 10 years. And I just like to thank Colorado for that. I'm just kidding. Those of you who are with us from Colorado, that's why I had to pick on you a little bit. You know, you're legalizing some stuff anyway. But here's, here's what the reason I bring all this up. There's a great tension because what this tells me is people don't know their purpose. They don't know their one main thing. They, they, they don't understand who they are in Christ. They don't understand what they were created for. 
You back it up a hundred years when the, when the school systems were found in the churches and when people were working with their hands and they were sitting around the table and they were learning about God because in many, in many households in that day and time, the only book they had was the Bible. And they learned how to pray together and they learned how to worship together and they had purpose. And marriages fail when we forget the reason. You know that. Fathers can't be great, can't, can't be great providers and great leaders, uh, or they can be great providers and great leaders at work, but are they at home? It's a challenge for me because my time is so limited at home to say, when are we going to have spiritual time this evening? When are we going to put that together? Bethany has, has, uh, 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 the, not choir, but the, not one act, but, Something that she does at the school from seven to nine that we have to make sure that she's there every night. The musical. She, she has musical practice. And then Emma's chairing a ball game. I was at Tascosa last night, uh, watching Emma cheer a ball game. Uh, it, it's every night with something. Hadley has, uh, uh, from band to, uh, dance to piano to whatever. There's something every single night. And, and now the struggle is, is, is the school system gets them all day, but when do I have my time? And it's not the school system's fault. It's me trying to schedule, even as a pastor, when can I pour into my kids? You know, here the other day, I sat them down and I said, hey, kids, y'all need to know something. You got to know who you are. And you got to know the scripture that supports who you are. So I, I want you to tell me who you are in the scripture that supports it. And you know, the preacher's kids cannot even do that. That's amazing to me. And so we started looking for a scripture that defines them and who they are. Man, here's the truth. A culture is dying out there, and we have the answer in here. The one thing. It's easy to get busy doing what we do and forget the why we do what we do. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, I like to go to the church at Ephesus because uh, this is so blatantly in front of us. I know your deeds, I know your toil, I know your perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And let me tell you, when they tested the apostles back then, there's a lot of people running around saying today, I'm an apostle, I have the gift of apostleship, I have the gift of prophecy, I'm prophetic. You know what, if we tested them the way they tested back in their day and time with some stones, uh, there'd be a lot less people saying that today, because it pays good to be prophetic today. It can really add to the pocket. hasn't added to my pocket, but I'm just saying. Let's keep going. Uh, and you found them not to be false, or you found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. And that's so important. They've not grown weary. Men, we can grow tired and we can say, Lord, you're going to have to take this because I can't when I'm talking about my, my children and things like that. We have responsibilities. We're not called to grow weary. They had not grown weary. So everything's good. Ephesus was one of the most uh, important urban centers in that day and time. It was a gathering pit, uh, place of the rich and the poor. False religions and cults, superstitions were all around them. This church was having to persevere. Diana, one of the seven greatest wonders of the world, was located right there. So a lot of praise and worship. Matter of fact, a lot of prostitute worship was happening here through this princess of Diana. It was a center for evangelism for three years. Now watch this while Paul was there. And then Timothy would go there after Paul's release from prison. This is amazing to me. So think about the type of pastors and preachers they had. Paul and then Timothy. And then John probably followed Timothy there. Some incredible pastors. So this initial part of the letter, it looks good. Your deeds, your perseverance, the testing of false prophets. You have not grown weary. The church looked good from the outside, but on the inside it was in trouble. It looked dynamic, dedicated, patient, disciplined, and discerning. 
at one time, which, which men, I think oftentimes we do this as well, but they lost their one main thing. Let me say this. They didn't lose it. They left it. Jesus saw beyond this. He gets to the heart of the level in Revelation 2, 4. He says, yet I hold this against you. You have left your first love. And some of the scriptures, uh, that word there is forsaken. You have forsaken your first love. In other words, your, your one main thing, the one thing that actually lasts for eternity. So all these things you've done. I mean, the people have seen you persecute the prophets in the street. It looks good. It looks like you're protecting. It looks like you're doing what you ought to be doing. But you've forgotten why you do what you do. You've forgotten the one main thing. So men, here's the thing. Once a diagnosis has been made, look, the prescription can't be written. And I think for all of us, we need to say, hey, uh, maybe we need a diagnosis here. What is the one main thing? You see, what man sees as successful is not what God always sees. What if you put Jeremiah on trial for his success? You ever think of this? <laughs> I think of Jeremiah often. Because Jeremiah, I mean, if you know anything about Jeremiah, it's a book of lamentations. He's, he's really concerned for the loss of Israel, for God's people. As a matter of fact, he says, hey, I don't even know that you need to pick up weapons. He doesn't say it exactly like this, but they've already come over the walls They've already infiltrated our people. They're among us. They just continue to get him in trouble. But, but here's the truth. I mean, what if we put Jeremiah on trial for success in the way we define success today? This is what it would look like. He, reserved, he received a word and a ministry from God, and he was an incredible preacher and prophet of the day. But Jeremiah never converted anyone. He never pers persuaded anyone. As a matter of fact, he said, all of you are going to turn away. Uh, who would want to pour themselves into a ministry that was destined for failure? Jeremiah, preach it till you bleed it, because that's what he did, and yet he never had a convert. And Jeremiah fulfilled God's will, so he was successful in the eyes of God, in the one whom it counted. You ever think of this? I, I uh, was in North Africa some years ago and uh, was with a worker there, a missionary there, and um, as I sat with him, he had been there for 10 years, and in 10 years, he'd had one convert. And that convert actually died last year. And, and it's, it's amazing to me to sit with him, but he was so passionate about the people. He was so passionate about spreading God's word. Uh, I should have brought some pictures of us even leading worship in his little, uh, little cubby hole there that he, we were hiding out while the mosque was playing there their prayer, we're inside a, a little deal with my guitar and a funny little, y'all would laugh at what I had on, what I was wearing. But, uh, uh, and, and he was in there with us. And I've never forgotten this man because this man, though, would wind up having all of his family converted before he converted before he died. It's an amazing story. You see, Jeremiah and others like him have been called, and we're always looking for the fruit of success. We're always looking for more, more, more. But the greatest fruit of success that you can have in your life is your relationship with God, the one main thing through his son, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning. What was Jesus's mission? What was his reason? What was his, person, his purpose? Some of you might say, well, maybe his purpose was to walk on water. That was pretty incredible. Maybe to heal the sick, maybe to make the lame to walk, maybe to resurrect the dead. Oh, yeah, maybe to go to the cross for me. All these things he did, he did, but they are not the main reason. Watch, he reveals the main reason in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. This is what he says. I have come to do your will, O God. 
the will of his father. That was the one main thing, right? And he's, he's doing that, even though he is God, he's doing that to express to us, to be an example for us, how we have this one main thing in our life where fulfillment comes from, which is the will of our heavenly father. He reveals this to his disciples in Mark 10, 33. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And in three days, he will rise again. But they don't get it. You know the story there. They don't get it. As a matter of fact, they ask some silly questions. Uh, well, what are you going to do for us? That's their question about it. You see, later in Luke, Jesus tells Peter to get behind him because at that time, Peter doesn't get it. Jesus invites Peter, James, and John up to the mountain. They fall asleep while Jesus prays a prayer. And this is the prayer. Prayer, if it be thy, uh, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me, yet not my will be done, but yours. And finally, Jesus is hanging on a cross. He's hanging on a tree. Those who would be hung on a tree were to be condemned. It was a, it was the worst type of punishment because there was condemnation from the Old Testament to hang or to be hanged from a tree. And he's hanging on this tree and he says, it is finished. In other words, I have completed what God has called me to do upon this earth. It's done. It is finished. My father's will. Restitution and reconciliation can now happen between my father and his children. See, only he could do this, man. Only he could do, redeem the world. And we have to pay attention to Jesus. He's our greatest example, and he knew the one main thing. To have ultimate success in your life, must come. you must come to terms with God's ultimate will for your life. Now, I'm going to say that again because that's an important statement. To have ultimate success in your life, you must come to terms with God's ultimate will for your life. Very important. I'm telling you, today we're being challenged on the fringes. It could cost us our job. It could cost, I, I mean, this statement right here had a lot of thought behind it because, uh, from, from writing on behalf of some of you men who are in fear of, of losing your life, uh, of losing your jobs and, and the things that are taken on with a mandate that was supposedly reinstated. Uh, OSHA supposedly is going to try to get out and enforce some things and, uh, what bothers me most about it is it's unconstitutional. I mean, I'm, whether you get the vaccine, you don't get the vaccine, a mandate for the vaccine is unconstitutional, I'm telling you right now. And I took an oath, a promise, <laughs> to defend the Constitution from both enemies, foreign and domestic. So it really, really burdens my heart to see this taking place. But here's the truth. The one main thing still in my life is still the one main thing in your life, to do the Father's will. Fulfillment, purpose, the reason, all those things come from our Father's will. The church at Ephesus, he goes on to say, remember therefore from where you have fallen. In the New American Standard, it says, remember therefore from the height in which you've fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place, meaning the church, unless you repent. And so he gives us three ways back. It's remember, repent, and repeat. I, I think of this often because I do this in my own life. This is a practice that it reminds me to do, to remember how I first was. When I first came into ministry and was called to ministry, I didn't care where I served. I just cared if I served. It didn't matter. I wasn't looking for a position. The first position I ever had in a church was to run the vacuum. And I did it the very best that I could. But that was my first way of serving. 
And I, I, I remember back on that day because it, it wasn't about anything other than me doing my father's will. See, uh, have you ever thought about the, when you received your forgiveness, that your name was written in the book of life, that you had zeal and your zeal, it was contagious. That should never burn out. This is, this is where he says, Hey, you know what? You shouldn't get tired. It, it, it shouldn't become mundane. This thing should be new and fresh to us every morning. When I say this thing, this calling in our life should be new and fresh to us every morning. But there was a time then that I pushed the vacuums and then I would, I would walk away from the Lord again. I got very frustrated with what was happening in my life when he moved me back to West Texas. And the thing that reignited my fire was going on a mission trip that the only reason I was asked wasn't because I was living a holy life. As a matter of fact, the night that I was asked, I just got in from the bar. The night I was asked, I just got kicked out of the bar. This is a terrible testimony for your pastor. And I was frustrated. I was mad. I was fighting mad. And I was, uh, uh, my phone rang at whatever time in the morning, one o'clock in the morning, whatever time I got back to the, to my apartment, which was HUD housing at the time. I wasn't doing real good, man. <laughs> All right. And, and, uh, and I was invited to go on a mission trip. And on that mission trip, I watched some kids just be so on fire for the Lord. I say kids, college students. They were just about four or five years younger than me, most of them. But uh, I was like, wow, I need this right here. And so that took me to the next place of repenting because my fire had gone out. I'd forgotten the one main thing. And so I repented, right? Uh, if your fire is out, if it's smoldering, then let me just tell you, just repent. Change your mind. Come back to the Father's will in your life because when you come back to the Father's will, that's all that matters for eternity anyway. That's the only thing that's going to go from this life to the next. And the third thing is repeat because that's exactly what he tells the church at Ephesus. He said, go back and do the de deeds you did at first. Remember, uh, I, I heard this on a walk to Emmaus. I've heard it a hundred times since then. But, you know, when you got saved, you probably wanted to charge hell with a water pistol. That was enough. Right. So maybe go back and, and think of, of, of how enlightened and the, the strength of our purpose when we understood that we were the very child of the living God. He goes on to, uh, uh, to tell them that as they do this, this is what happens. Your lampstand remains that we persevere. We make it to the end. You see, it's so important. We say a lot of times focus determines our attention. Attention determines our direction. Direction determines our destination. Well, our destination is secure in the Father. The question is, are we remembering that? And, men, as we remember that, are we doing His will in our lives for the short time that we have this thing called life on this planet? And so I encourage you with that. It's good to be ambitious. It's good to have beautiful dreams. It's good to have goals, both good and positive. It's good to have goals in your work. I want to encourage you, men, this doesn't mean for you to walk away from your work. What it means is to do your work with a purpose. And, and so God's will and God's purpose for you is to have your relationship securely formed as a child with him. That's your one main purpose. And as we have this right, he'll get all this other right and we'll walk with him for an eternity. Amen.